Good evening, everybody. Uh, sorry we can't be together on the last service and last message of 2020, but that's okay. Um, you're joining us at home or wherever it is that you may be. Uh, we praise the Lord for technology that we can still be together tonight. Um, what a wonderful blessing to be able to bring this message to you tonight. When the Lord laid this message on my heart, it was... Uh, it was an exciting encouragement to me to be able to bring this message uh, because coming to the end of a year and starting a new year, uh, the Lord has given this message to me in Romans chapter 7, and I do ask that you would take a moment and grab your copy of God's Word uh, if you're able to do so. Don't just listen or watch. I encourage you to get your, your Bible and to follow along. But the title of the message tonight is, Yes or No, A People of Two Opinions. A People of Two Opinions. This is a vitally important message to understand because there are so many times that we don't realize that we are actually people of two opinions. Uh, for the lost, there are those that have a personal opinion and yet could have a possible moral opinion, but as Christians... We should always be led and understand that there is the biblical principles that we need to always follow first, but sometimes that our own personal desires will get in the way of what it is that God would have us to do or to be. So that's the whole reason of the message tonight. So tonight we're going to talk about a few things, uh, but we're going to talk about how biblical doctrine versus personal theology now, biblical and doctrine are not always the same, biblical being yet that of the Word of God, of Christ, 2 Timothy 3.16, inspired by God, but yet there can also be a doctrine that is of man. So we're going to see these uh, points of accountability through the text tonight in Romans 7 by the writing of the Apostle Paul, but I also want to talk about and to understand that through this message tonight about a personal theology. Now, theology typically is that of God and the Word of God, but that's why that I put personal theology uh, together, because biblical doctrine and personal theology are not always the same. So, leaving 2020 and everything that has occurred this year in our personal lives, uh, not just in that of the world, but in our personal lives, we need to find ourselves to be held accountable again as we move into a new year about biblical doctrine and understanding that there is a personal theology. The one thing that I need you to understand about what we're going to read here tonight is simply this, is that in verse 23, we are going to see how the Apostle Paul uses the term that there is a warring inside of himself. And that's what we need to understand tonight about this warring, about this, this battle, the spiritual battle is taking place in our minds and in our hearts every single day. It's not one day over another one, it's every day. It doesn't matter what the circumstances we, that we are living in at that time, uh, that we are warring each and every day. But with this fight, and this will also help us too to go into a new year, is that with this fight, there's three understandings that we need to have in this spiritual warfare that the Apostle Paul is going to speak about. One is that the fight is real. 
It is a real fight. It is something that whether we want to deal with it or not, or we want to believe that it is real or true or not, the fight that we deal with spiritually as Christians every day is real. The second thing that we need to understand is that it is personal. It is something that we are going through within ourselves. That's what the Apostle Paul will line out tonight and lay out for us tonight in Romans chapter 7, is that it is a personal fight. As we read the text tonight, as we'll begin in verse 15, going to verse 25, that this the Apostle Paul lays this battle out, not blaming another person, not trying to shun accountability to something or someone else. The Apostle Paul takes it upon himself and he identifies it as a personal battle. But the third thing simply is, is that we need to realize and accept that it is a spiritual battle. Satan doesn't want us to believe that the battles that we deal with every day are that of spiritual. He wants us to look at these battles that they are of natural or they are of the world, that these are things that somebody else brings into our life or brings into our heart and creates a circumstance that we have to deal with And when Satan encourages us to think that way, then we are not fighting the battle as it's real. We are not fighting it as a personal battle, and we are not understanding it as a spiritual battle. So that is where God wants us to go at tonight and to understand this text, but yet how truly it will apply to our lives. Now, I do have two verses that I want to read to you before we get started, but I want to ask you one simple question tonight. This is a question that the Lord has just placed on my heart and mind all day today since early this morning, is that listening to this message tonight, whether you uh, attend the Hedgesville Baptist Church or not, but are you really saved? Are you really a Christian? Are your spiritual battles being warred through Christianity, through your faith in Christ and Christ alone, or are you fighting these spiritual battles upon your own authority by walking through a precept of Christianity, which what I mean by that is is simply that you are a Christian by term and not a Christian by salvation in Christ. And this is a question that you need to ask yourself tonight. And you need to be very honest with yourself tonight. And for those that would typically be here, you're at home, or those that would not typically be here, maybe you're listening to this from somewhere else, it doesn't matter. But you, where you are at, the precept of church reverence by being in the building is not in play tonight. You do not need to worry about the altar call. You do not need to worry about me challenging you at the end of the message because Christ is challenging you now at the beginning of the message. Because what are you going to get out of this message tonight depends upon your relationship or your lack of relationship with Jesus Christ. So I ask that you challenge your own heart. I ask that you recall your own salvation experience, not experiences, plural, but the one time when you come to know Christ, if you are saved, that you need to challenge your mind and your heart tonight. So maybe you need to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian for years, but yet you have begun in the last months, days, hours, years, whatever it may be, to challenge your relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that this message tonight will clarify and solidify one way or the other with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So before we get into the context and we get into these uh, verses here tonight, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you for the hope and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Lord, I praise you and I thank you today that we can live in Christ and we can live by the power and the atoning power of his grace. Father, we do live in a wicked and vile world. Father, we do understand that sin entered into this world and that yet that sin passed upon all men, all people. And Father, I pray that the accountability of what the Apostle Paul is saying tonight in Romans chapter 7 would open our hearts to the truth. That we understand that this battle that we fight is real. That it is personal and it is spiritual. And Lord, that it changes the rest of our life. It changes the way that we look at things. It changes how we study the Word of God. It changes how we speak about your word, how it applies to our life. That, Lord, it's not just a doctrine, it's a biblical doctrine. That it's not just a theology, it is a personal theology of acceptance of biblical doctrine in Jesus Christ. Lord, I know there are many times that each of us want to take the Word of God and we either want to shun it, that it has no authority over us, or we want to try to change it to accommodate us in our emotional state at a particular time and during a particular circumstance. And Lord, I pray that you would open us today. And Father, Lord, just help us to be honest with ourselves. That Lord, that we would look to the greatness of God and stop thinking about the simplicities of man. So Lord, I thank you again for this written word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that the Spirit of God would move through us and that would help us. And Father, bring us to that accountable state of mind and of heart. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read to you a couple verses here tonight. The first one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. I just want to read it to you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, old mindsets, old habits, old ideas, old desires are passed away. They are gone and behold, all things become new. It's a mind and a heart set that we understand that once we become a born again Christian by the great gift that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, that we have accepted that gift and we have accepted that responsibility of how it changes our life. So has your ideas, has your heart, has your, has your personal perception of sin and sinfulness changed since the day that you were saved? Has it changed in such a way that it has dramatically changed your life? That you no longer find joy in sin? That you no longer find desire to do sin? You say, well, preacher, I, I still do. There are times that I find fault, I find failure, I find weakness in my flesh. Yes, I understand that. But the Apostle Paul addresses this tonight, but here in this text of 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul absolutely makes it plain that once we become a Christian, that our complete mindset and heart set about God's Word and how it has authority over us changes us and that we have found that change. So since your salvation, have you truly changed? The second text I want to use tonight is found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. And, it, and here the Word of God says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that man should do to you, do you even so to them. What is that? That's just the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So are you finding yourself 
as a yes or no, a person of two opinions, that when people come against you or in opposition to you or your opinions or your desires, whatever they may be, are you angry? Are you justified? Are you finding yourself to be justified in great levels of personal grandeur of wanting to get back at them? Or do you find yourself humbled under the respect that you know that Jesus Christ forgave you of every sin that you committed? If you live under that forgiveness, if you live under that atonement, that blood atonement of Christ, then it's easy for you to forgive somebody else. It doesn't matter what it is that's taken place. It doesn't matter what it is that's, that they have done to you, that you yourself can get past that. Your relationship with that individual may change. Absolutely. I understand that. But I also understand the fact is, is that we want to hold on to things and we want to justify the responses of our anger of our flesh, of our sinfulness, by blaming somebody else for churning us up and creating anger and a volume of anger inside of us. And that is not justified by the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul says that here tonight. And as I get into verse 15 of Romans chapter 7, I have one last thing that I want to encourage you with here tonight is that if you as a Christian man or you as a Christian woman have your desires to walk close with Jesus Christ, but your husband or your wife does not want to, their desires is not to grow in grace. It's not to grow in a manifestation of knowledge. Do not be discouraged by them. Do not be discouraged by their heart. Do not be discouraged by their desires to try to uh, persuade you to not follow your path with Jesus Christ. You follow your path. You be the living example that they need to see and to hear. You get up on Sunday mornings and go to church, whether they want to come or not, and you do what you need to do because your accountability before Jesus is between you and your Savior. It is not between you, your spouse, and your Savior. Live in that accountable state in Jesus Christ. And that was one thing that just before that we started recording this tonight that the Lord just laid on my heart and I'm giving it to you. So let's look tonight in the text of Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. Here the Apostle Paul begins to speak about and how through this text tonight of how he can resolve the struggle that is within him. And we're going to see this as he brings it to conclusion in verse 25. So verse 15 tonight. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, he says, that I do. He begins and he opens this statement tonight with this great spiritual warfare that, as I said earlier, that he speaks about in verse 23. The Apostle Paul, and as, and as great of a godly man that he was, he identified with the flesh because he had been saved through his spirit and the spirit of God. His soul had been saved. It had been saved from the clutches of hell. He had brought himself by having faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone that Jesus saved him. But here he's being human. 
He admits that there is a war of the flesh. He admits that there is a biblical doctrine that verses a personal theology. He admits here tonight that he is the chiefest of sinners in his mind and in his heart. I believe each of us should be able to take that title upon ourselves and be honest to admit to ourselves that we are the chiefest of sinners. And he realizes that this fight is real, it is personal, and absolutely it is spiritual. He says, for my, in the first part of verse 15, he says, for my own sins. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is, this is phenomenal. This is fantastic. When you listen to how the Apostle Paul, as a saved, born again child of God, struggling against the flesh, but willing to do the works of the Spirit, he says, for my own sins baffle me. His own sins baffles his own mind and his own heart. And he says, I do not understand why I'm doing what I do. Now, he's not shifting blame. Pay attention to what he's saying in the text. Go to a verse before. Go to a verse after. Understand what Paul is saying. He's not saying that I don't understand why I'm doing it. He simply says that I am saved in Jesus Christ. Christ is my Redeemer. And if I have been redeemed, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where all old things become new... And all new things were once old. He says it baffles my human mind to understand that if I am saved by the grace of Almighty God through Jesus Christ, why am I still having such a struggle? This was not a questioning. This was a question that yet he identifies his own self with. But he says, but what I hate, that do I. For I know what I should be doing and how I should be doing it. But I simply do the opposite. Can you identify with that tonight? Can you identify with doing something today, earlier today, that yet you knew you needed to do something, but yet you didn't? Maybe you were agitated at work. Maybe somebody cut you off in traffic, and yet you responded in the flesh and not in the Spirit. Did you find meekness of faith, or did you find weakness of faith? How did you respond to that particular moment? This hate that he talks about, this is not a hate of the flesh. This is a, this is a hating of the spiritual person that he is. What does this word hate mean? It does not take upon itself the context of what the world identifies as hate. He says here, but he says, I, but I, what I hate that I do. He says, what I detest. What I love less. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What I love less to do. This is the spiritual nature which verses a fleshly accomplishment. What does that mean? Is that he is, he is finding this huge struggle in his mind and in his heart that he wants to do the right thing. He wants to serve Christ the right way. But yet his flesh gets in the way. So how does he control this flesh? Again, he gives us the answer in verse 25, but let's not jump too far ahead. Let's look at verse 16. He says, if, now pay attention to the word if, that is a very powerful opening word in this statement found in verse 16. He says, if then I do that which I would not or I should not do, he says, I consent unto the law that it is good. The law gives man the ability and the willingness to commit unrighteousness. 
It's not the law of God. It's the law of sin. It's the law of justification. It's the law of sinfulness. It's these things that we look at ourselves and we find ourselves that we as Christians at times that, and that's what the world blames us with, is they say, well, you think you can do whatever it is that you want to do. And then at some point you can just ask God to forgive you and he forgives you and you just keep moving on. The Apostle Paul speaks of this great struggle of this law giving of the mind and of the heart, the law of man, the law of sinfulness, which versus the law and the nature of Jesus Christ, which is found in grace, that the Apostle Paul again just continues in verse 16 to say that that when or that which I would not. I consent unto the law that it is good. We can't justify sin. And here's another test to find out whether your salvation is real. When you sin, do you find glory or do you find regret? When you do things that are wrong, that violate the Word of God, do you find yourself being justified because of the sin or do you find yourself being guilty in the court of Jesus Christ through what the Word of God teaches us about nature and sin? Well, let's look at verse 17. He says, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Again, this is not the Apostle Paul here shunning responsibility. That's not what he is saying. Maybe some of you have studied this. Maybe you have used this text to justify your sinfulness in your life by saying, well, the Apostle Paul said it was okay. Or the Apostle Paul said that because of the struggle it was okay. That is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's not what the Word of God is teaching us tonight. That is not what the Spirit is conveying to us tonight. And if, and if you believe that the Word of God is just your sin, the sinfulness lies in your own personal theology, you better have a deeper understanding of biblical doctrine to change your life and to find that cataclysmic end to serving the flesh and to serve the Spirit the way Christ has saved you and called you from and to be. But he says, but the sin that dwells in me. He says here that he is not submitting to the spiritual authority that we think it has over us. What is he saying? That the, we cannot say that, well, you know, sin nature and sin caused it. So I, I do what I do because of the sin nature. The Apostle Paul is not saying that. We cannot blame Satan. We cannot blame sin. And we cannot blame mankind. We can only blame ourselves as children of Jesus Christ, as born again believers, for and to be held accountable by our own deeds, in our own minds, and in our own hearts. There is an identifying in verse 17. There is an identifying of the source. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Remember, this is warfare. Verse 23. This is a warfare. There is a warring that is going on. We need to identify the source. And we need to realize its influence over us and not authority over us. Satan has no authority over a child of God. Satan can influence the mind. He can influence the heart by certain things or using certain people and realizing that the people that he always uses and he's able to use is not always lost people. Many times he'll use Christians to do his bidding because that Christian is living in their flesh. That Christian is, is fulfilling the desire of anger or of lust or of, of burden or whatever the case may be. Whatever it is that's motivating them. That's why when we feel challenged, when we feel stressed, when we feel that Satan is on our mind, 
minds and our hearts. The Word of God teaches us that we plead the blood of Jesus Christ and tell Satan to leave us alone and he must flee. But if we don't tell him to flee, he's not going anywhere. He's going to stay right where he's at. He's going to keep doing what he's doing and he will find you accountable through the flesh and yet Jesus needs us to live in the accountability of the Spirit. So the next time something happens, don't blame anybody else except yourself. Now let's just look at verse 18. He says, For I know that in me, for I know. Now, now pay attention to the words that the Apostle Paul uses here. Because remember, this is a personal analogy. This is a personal understanding of his own walk with the Lord and in his personal walk in the world. He says, for I know. What does he mean by for I know? For I know simply means for I accept the reality that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth nothing good. Dwelleth nothing good. I love how the Apostle Paul uses that. That is a humbling statement. That is a statement where it humbles us that we realize that no matter how spiritual or how wonderful or how Christian we may think that we are, the greater things of us is found in that of the sinfulness of the flesh, the dying of the body, the dying of the soul, and the regeneration through the salvation in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul here does not denounce his faith and trust in Christ and his ability to keep us that we are sealed until the day of redemption. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying here is, is that before he can find solidarity and he can find a solution to the personal problems and the personal issues that's warring in his flesh, he must remember that he was simply once lost and now he is saved by Jesus Christ. So he identifies that relationship by accepting the fact that there is nothing good in him and our work and our works are his filthy rags in the presence of God the Bible teaches us he says for to will is present with me for to will for the desire for what is there what I should be doing it is present with me it's it's in me my heart my desire but but Pay attention to the alternative here, that when he goes from the spirit to the flesh and he says, but how to perform that which is good, he says, I find not. It's not that he's saying that he can't do anything righteous. It's not saying that he won't do anything righteous. He's got this war in his mind where he has not found himself to live in such a place that he won't do anything for Christ. He is simply explaining his mind and in his heart that he is saying that I want to see, I want to serve Jesus Christ. He said, it is present with me. It's in my heart because Christ, the Spirit of God, is indwelling in me. His actual presence is in my heart it is there but he says but how to perform that which is that I find not he says what does he mean for the willingness to do good is present with me which is the spirit but the doing of it is not which is the flesh this is one of the greatest trials that we as Christians will deal with in our walk with Jesus Christ is because the Spirit of God leads us to do a particular thing and it doesn't matter what it is that He asks you to do. He gives you direction. He gives you training. He gives you ability 
Praise God, He gives you the calling to do it, and you have all of that support system standing behind you because it's in you, and while you begin to do it, or while you're doing it, whether it's pre, during, or post, Satan will come to you and put in your mind, are you able to do it? It's not, are you willing to do it? But yet that is a question that he will pose sometimes. But he throws that one question at us and he says, are you able to do it? I think anybody that has any amount of humility in their minds and their hearts as a born again Christian, that when God calls any of us, whether it's to pastor or teach or to be a missionary or whatever it is that the Lord asks us to do, I think that we should all ask ourselves that in myself, can I fulfill the will of God for my life? Or do I need to get outside of what I believe my own abilities are and fall and collapse into the abilities that Christ has put in me? Simply saying is, is that, is it you doing it for Christ or is it Christ doing it through you? There's a big difference in that. And that's where the Apostle Paul comes at in verse 18. For those of you that are struggling about serving Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if it's a Sunday school teacher or whatever else it is. Why, why is it that uh, uh, you're making these excuses? And what is the excuse? Let's just be honest for just a minute. I have a few extra minutes tonight. But let's look at tonight and find out what excuses are you using? Are you using because you work? Would you like God to take your job away from you? Are you saying that, well, I don't have the ability to do it? Does God need to take health away from you to slow you down to get you to a place where you can serve Him? Well, I've got all these bills. What about, what about breaking down and, and, and coming to a place where you can live with inside of your means? We say, well, my, my husband or my wife, or I can't do this, or I can't. Let me tell you what. You only need to be finding yourself held accountable to Jesus Christ and stop using the excuse of being held accountable before another human being. Because they are not going to be there at your judgment. They are not going to be there judging you. Your wife or your husband's not going to judge you. As a pastor, I'm not going to judge you. I have my own judgment day awaiting me. Are we finding excuses to not serve Jesus Christ? I don't care where you live. I don't care what it is that Christ has called you to do. Well, I don't have time. Don't make God make time for you. I've heard, I've heard so many testimonies through the years of being a pastor and even before where God would call people to serve Him in different ways and yet they told Jesus, I didn't have enough time. But then the Lord stepped in and said, well, let me take that burden away from you so you can serve me and see that you do have time to serve me. But isn't it amazing, and let me move on, isn't it amazing that we make excuses to not serve Jesus, but we always have time to serve our own wills and ways? You come home at the end of the day and you're tired. That's, I understand that. You sit down on the chair and you're like, well, I need to prepare a Sunday school lesson for Sunday, but I'm just so tired. What about those that are walking into that Sunday school class on Sunday that are tired and weary of the Spirit? And they need you to fill them and to encourage them in the Word of God. Find no excuse, but find the reason to serve. Verse 20. He says, Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And this is a continuing context of what he has said earlier. Again, Paul is not evading responsibility, but yet he is accepting responsibility for it. For himself, for who he is and what he has done and how he has given to us. Meaning God in Christ. 
Let's look at verse 21. He says, find then a law. I find then a law. He says, I find this law of sin. I find this law of justification. I find this law of different ways that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Here, the Apostle Paul recognizes that even in the midst of doing that what is righteous, he has to recognize that God's will and man's way may collide during the will of God. There may be a time where you start out serving Jesus Christ and you are excited, you are motivated, and yet you you follow the will of God and you're feeling great in your heart and your mind because you know you're doing the right thing, you know you're doing it the right way. But then there comes a time when you just feel that, that Satan is just coming against you or the pressure of people in your life or the world itself or whatever the cataclysmic event that is taking place in your life and you feel that the power and the stress of all of these things is causing you to collapse it's not people it's not circumstances it's not the world it's not a covid pandemic it's not anything other than our and i use that term as a unified understanding that we all accept a responsibility for ourselves that it is our unwillingness to serve christ that causes it to happen Well, but I've served Jesus for 10 years or I've served him for 20 years and I've been faithful to doing this. But the question you have to ask yourself is simply this. Does he want you to do it for 21 years? Then you have to find strength. You have to find purpose. You must live in the accountability. So the apostle Paul says that, listen, he says, I'm not evading the responsibility. I'm actually accepting it. Verse 22, he says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward inward man. It's Paul's desire. Now pay attention to what he says here. He says, he says, I find delight in the law of God. He says that the apostle Paul here, as he just lays his heart continuously out, he recognizes uh, within his heart that his greatest desire as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a born again Christian, is to love and want to obey God's word and his ways. He's he's asking in his own heart, he says, how much do I love God? How much am I committed to Christ? How much am I committed to believe that God's word is true? Do I find profitable value of the word of God in my life? Do I find any value of the word of God in my life? Do I find myself wanting to do something? And let's take sinfulness and disobedience out of the equation for just a moment. And when Jesus Christ asked you to do whatever it may be, are you finding yourself to have a greater desire to fulfill it or to divert from it? And this is what the Apostle Paul said. He says, as a child of God, but all Christians should be this way. We should all want to follow the wills and ways of God. We should all want to follow the understanding and the doctrinal teaching of the Word of God. We should all want to follow the theology of the study and the acknowledgement and the recognition of God, Christ, and the authority in our lives and hearts through that of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. So he finds delight. Do you find delight? Do I find delight? Do any of us find delight? I don't mean just simply when we're in the church house around other Christians and we want to put on a fanfare show to say, oh, well, yes, I I love God and I'm willing to do anything he wants. But what about when we leave the church and we're driving home or days or hours or weeks or months later, he, he says, well, now I need you to do this. Is your love for Christ strong enough to fulfill his wills for your life? Verse 23, he says, but I see another law in my members, 
I see another law in my members warring. His flesh, his mind, his heart, the precepts of who he thinks he is. All of these things are there. He says, I see another law in my members warring. This is the word warring here in the Greek just simply means to attack and to destroy. That's what this warring is going on. I don't know whether you understand this or not, but Satan is trying to destroy your testimony. He can't take your salvation away from you. He cannot divert the love of God from you because nothing can cause us to be out of the love and the compassions and the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. But if He can get into your mind, if He can get into your heart, if He can attack you, if He can destroy your confidence in yourself and your confidence in God being able to use you, He has yet won and this warring that the Apostle Paul speaks about is a very real, it is a very personal, and it is a very spiritual battle that we deal with every day. He says, and warring against the law of my mind, the mind and the heart, the things of God, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, what I should be doing, what I want to be doing, because he has delight in the law of the Lord. And he says, in bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Here, the Apostle Paul, again, he just recognizes the understanding that in a war that we need to know our enemy and knowing our enemy is to win the war. If you don't realize who Satan is, you can repeat his name. But if you don't know who he is, if you don't know what he is, if you don't know his abilities in your life, you do not know the enemy and the enemy will always find victory over you. And that's why so many... Christians, and I'm talking about born-again believers in Jesus Christ. When I use the term Christian, I'm talking about real Christians, not just people that's professing something. They know Christ. There is a relationship there. And in their hearts, that's why so many Christians that should be in church serving Jesus Christ in one way or the other, or even at the workplace, they're not doing it because they have made excuses by using man to take away the joy of the Lord that lives in their heart. People blame you, they blame me. They, they blame, they're always looking to blame somebody else. If all of the born-again Christians, and I'm talking about true Christians in Jesus Christ, would come back and rededicate their life to the Lord, and they would come back to church and serve Jesus Christ the way that He needs, every one of us would be in building programs. This building would not hold all the Christians that should be here. This facility is not even close to being enough for what we would need to hold all the rededicated Christians in the world, and in even in our own community and let's get a little personal even in our own churches that Christians that are not here because they use people and circumstances as a as a distraction and a desire to fulfill the fulfillment of the flesh and not that to fulfill the wills of God and of Christ this is not a slam. Don't get mad at me for what I'm saying. Recognize what I'm saying, that it is the truth of what the Apostle Paul is saying, is that have you lost the delight in the Lord? Have you lost the delight of serving Christ? Have you lost the delight of spiritual prayer? Have you lost the desire to actually pick up the Bible and actually read it? Where's your heart? Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you as I close this out in just the next couple moments, is that this is something that's never going to go away. This warring of the spirit, this warring of the mind, of the heart, of the flesh, this is never going to go away. 
It's never, you are never going to find yourself at a place in your life where this is never going to be something that you're going to not deal with. Yes, there may be times where Satan will back off and it seems like things are going good for a time or for a season, and that's great. But Satan says, rest in those moments. Jesus Christ says, prepare for the next moment when he comes back and attacks again. If you break down your walls or if you unload your weapons and Satan comes in and the enemy comes in and he is there to destroy you and hurt you, you don't have enough time to prepare. You do not have time to lock in your weapons. You do not have enough time to pray. You do not have enough time to do all of the things that you should have already been doing. So Satan comes and says, rest in those moments. And Jesus says, reflect in those moments and understand that when the battle ends, the war will yet begin again and that's why so many christians are not serving christ today is because that the battle had taken place and maybe they were strong for a little while but yet they found themselves weak because they tried to fight satan in the in the flesh instead of trusting in jesus in the spirit because we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers Fight Satan the way you need to. Do it through prayer. Do it through Bible study. Do it through commitment. Do it through obedience. Do it through church attendance. Do it through praise and worship. Just do it. Verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Can we all tell ourselves that tonight? Can every one of us be honest enough with ourselves in the next 30 seconds to say, oh, I identify with the Apostle Paul. Oh, what a wretched person that I am. This is not gender specific. This is mankind specific. He says, but here himself, he says, but oh, wretched man that I am. Who I am. And you say, but he served Jesus so well. He did so much for him. But in his own heart, he understood and knew. Listen to me quickly. He understood and knew that if he did not admit the weakness of the flesh, he would never fulfill the call of the Spirit through spiritual strength. He had to admit that he was weak. He had to admit that he was sinful. He had to admit that he was once lost and has been saved. He had to admit that the spiritual battles rage every day the apostle paul and that's the only reason he served christ as well as he did because he admitted the weakness of the flesh he admitted the weakness of the spirit he admitted to himself that without the sustaining power and grace of god he could do nothing O wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death who shall deliver me romans 5 12 that we understand and know that by that by one man centered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men because every man, woman and child has sinned. Every one of us have. Who's going to deliver me? Who is going to help me in this particular moment? And I love this as we conclude in verse 25. He simply says that I thank God. This is a humbling statement. This is not a repetitive statement. This is not something he is saying just to say it. This is something that he is, is bringing from the depths of his mind and of his heart. He simply says that I thank God. He humbles himself as much as the verse before that he says, Oh, what yet a wretched man, wicked person yet that I am in my mind and my heart and these battles that rage in the flesh. He says, but I thank God through Jesus Christ. This is not his captor, but this is the one that has captivated his life. 
That Damascus Road experience was something the Apostle Paul relived out throughout his lifetime. He remembered that day when that great light shone in the midst of the noonday. He saw the love of Jesus Christ. He revisited that. He thanked God. When was the last time any of us thanked God for salvation? When was the last time we thanked God for victory in warfare? When is the last time that we prayed in gratefulness and thankfulness and we didn't pray in want and in personal desire of need? When was the last time that we just said, Lord God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me? If nobody else for me, he died for me. When was the last time we told God that? Or is that something at the end of the prayer after you've asked God for 20 other things that are that of the flesh and not the needs of the Spirit? When do we ask God for yet the glories and the powers of strength over a bigger house or a fancier car? But he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said, so then with me or with the mind, he says within me. So then with the mind, I myself pay attention to what he says with the mind, with the indwelling of the spirit, with the presence of Christ in the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. He says that within myself, within my heart, within my mind, he acknowledges this deliverance from sin and this sanctification unto righteousness. He says, I myself serve the wills, the ways, and the written word of God. He says, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's amazing how the Apostle Paul uses this text in relations to law. We think that as we read the word law, even just in these 10 verses, we think that, well, the law means the law of God. No. The law that he speaks about at the end of verse 25 specifically, because that's the last verse that we covered. He says that I in my mind, by the spirit, the indwelling of God, through the knowledge and the favor and my salvation, I serve God and Christ. But in my flesh, the only thing I can serve is the law of sin. I want to close this message out tonight simply asking each of us one question. Who do we serve? Who do we serve? Are we serving an opinion? Are we serving a biblical doctrine? Or are we serving a personal theology? I challenge you with that as the Spirit of God has challenged me to bring that to you. That as we leave 2020 and we walk into 2021, don't think that as a New Year's biblical resolution that we're going to resolve ourselves to serve Christ January 1. He's your Savior today. You serve Him today. You use these next hours between now and January 1 to prepare your mind and your heart for a greater level of service on January 1. Don't wait till January 1 because if that's what you're going to do, you're not serious about your commitment to Christ. And as I close, remember this. The Bible is very clear that he could have called 10,000 angels from heaven to take him off the cross. Those angels would have removed the nails from his hands and his feet, would have ministered to his wounds, and would have taken him to his rightful place at the right hand of God. But he chose not to serve the flesh. He chose to live in the ways and the wills of God for the spiritual purpose for you and me.
And he simply, as he hung on the cross, he cried out as he looked to heaven. In his personal commune with God, he looked to his heavenly Father and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Are you willing to do that to yourself tonight? Are you willing to cry out to God and Christ and just simply say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for my arrogance. Forgive me for my sinfulness. Forgive me for my wantonness. Lord Jesus, please just forgive me. Will you ask for that forgiveness tonight in sincerity of your heart? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you need Him? Do you want Him? Do you really know Him? Do you need to just open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for all that I have done. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful person. And Lord Jesus, I've done so many things in my life. The forgiveness I ask for is for that of forgiving me so that I can live with you forever. Will you please come into my heart and my life and save me and be my Lord and Savior? Will you ask for that personal relationship tonight? Will you believe in Christ and Christ alone tonight? Listen to the Spirit. Follow His wills and His ways. And Father, as I conclude this message tonight, I do so by grace and mercy. And I pray that you would just fill each and every individual's heart, whether they listen to it today or, Lord, whether they listen to it months or years down the road. I pray, Father, that our walk with you would be held more accountable and our accountability will be found in the love that we have for you. Lord Jesus, we anxiously await to see you, which all believers do. We fear not death, yet we do not shun the accountability of faith. We will see you soon enough, but we pray that you would just continue to glorify yourself through us. Help the lost to be saved, help the saved to be sanctified, and help us all, Lord, that we serve you better. We love you and we thank you, and it's your name that we pray. Amen. May God bless you and enrich your mind and in your heart. We pray that you have a happy new year and a blessed year in 2021. God bless you.